Amen. All right. Judges chapter 8 tonight. Judges chapter 8. Who knows who all the judges are so far? Nobody wants to try to say all the judges tonight? Y'all are too bashful. Alright, well let's go ahead and say it together. I, I know y'all know it. Let's say it. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, and Gideon. And I did a good job tonight because I actually put it in my notes. So, because I'm bad at memorizing things for some reason. But anyway, Judges chapter 8 is where we're at. And last week, we saw the epic battle with Gideon and his 300 men going up against this multitude of people. We saw how God caused the armies to panic and they basically just killed each other, uh, causing them to just go on the run. And so, at the end of the last chapter, Gideon calls for the men of Ephraim to help basically take out the rest of the people who are on the run. The battle's been, the battle's been won, but there's still some people out there that they need to take out. There's still some spoils of war that they need to collect. And something you need to remember about war. While there is a time and place for war, and, you know, war is appropriate sometimes, you gotta understand though that it is, it's a, it's a tricky situation because there's also very selfish reasons for going to war. And one of the benefits of war is the spoils of war. And that often can be a motivation. And we should never, you know, invade a country because we want their stuff, because we want their land, we want their oil, uh, which is what, you know, we would probably go after today. But, uh, but understand, whenever they would have to fight a battle, again, while they were supposed to because of maybe security reasons, while God did give them this land to possess and to, and God did command them to remove the Canaanites from it, um, there still could be selfish motivations for people. And so keep that in mind because in the first verse, it says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And so you think the Ephraimites would just be glad that the enemy was defeated, but you know, they're probably just mad that they weren't able to get in on the spoils of war. Could be that they're like, you know, we would like to get some credit on this too, but he, I, I think we're going to see too, it's clear that the main motivation was, you know, if you guys are going to fight a war, and especially since they won that war, it's like, you know, I wish you'd have called us too, so we could have got in on it and we could have benefited and profited from that war. And so in verse 2, and he said unto them, What have I now done in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? And what he's basically saying here, because, you know, gleanings, that's something that you pick up after a harvest has already taken place. Whenever they would harvest, if, uh, if any of the, the fruit of the land would fall to the ground, they weren't supposed to go back and pick it up. They were supposed to leave that for the strangers. They were supposed to leave that for widows and people like that. And, and so that was, those things were referred to as gleanings. And that was in the law. They are to leave things like that. And so basically what he's saying right here when he says, you know, is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebenezer? While it's kind of hard for us to picture this in our mind, it would appear to me that he's saying the gleanings of the fields of Ephraim, apparently they were plenteous enough that that's a really good thing to be able to just glean from that. And that's better than the vintage, so better than getting everything from this other area. So he's basically telling them, hey, you know what? There's still plenty of gleanings out there that you can get. There was only 300 of us and thousands and thousands of people died. We can't carry all the loot that we got in this battle. So you know what? You don't have anything to worry about. You know what? You can, you can have the gleanings. Even though me and my 300 men, we won this battle, we're not taking everything for ourselves. We're ready to share the wealth. And so I think that's basically what he's talking about here. So in verse 3, it says that God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he said that. And so he was able to get through to them and show them they were better off now because the victory was going to benefit them. You know, and they were still going to be able to get in on the spoils. Not only... Was there a bunch of stuff left with all the dead bodies out there that they could go get? But there also, 
uh, with still a lot of people left to go kill that were on the run, you're going to easily be able to defeat these people. So, you know, just get busy, go do something, don't worry about it. And so, after he said that, their anger was abated. They calmed down. And so, verse 4, And Gideon came to Jordan, and he passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Ziba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars, and he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake unto the men of Penuel saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. And one thing we can kind of learn from this, this is why it's good to be hospitable. Because you never know who you're dealing with and it could come back on you, good or bad, you know, depending on you know, who you do this to. So what I personally think, you know, you've got thousands of men that are kind of on the run, but, and then you've got 300 men chasing them. And I think what probably happened is the men in these towns, they're looking and thinking there's only 300 guys. They're not going to be able to defeat those guys. So the last thing we want to do is help them because then the Midianites might come after us later. But the thing is, you know, they didn't understand, no, God's with these 300 men. They are going to succeed. And so the truth is, you know, they should have been a help to them. One thing we see in the Bible too, is there were a lot of laws about helping the stranger. And, and again, that was one of the reasons they would leave what they called the gleanings behind for the stranger. Because, you know, back then when you were traveling through the land, you know, you didn't have, you know, uh, interstates like we do today with rest stops and things like that. People needed something to eat and you could only carry so much food and traveling across this land on foot would be a difficult thing. And, you know, and you were allowed if you were traveling through an area too, to just kind of pick from the food and eat it. You kind of had, you kind of had a right to doing that. And so, uh, so, but anyway, these people, they would have been wise to help them. And it is good to be hospitable. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let the bro- let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And that this is why we should be good to people. We never know who we're dealing with. You never know. That's why as a church, we should be kind to everyone that comes in. We shouldn't just be nice to the rich people looking people that come in. And the, James specifically talks about that. While we're not that nice to the poor people. Because let me tell you something. Some of the greatest Christians ever at one time were poor people. You know, some of the best preachers that are out there, they used to be, you know, that rotten kid, that rowdy teenager, or even that, you know, some crazy looking adult that got in church, just got saved, but you know, that God ended up doing a work in their life. And so you never know who's going to be the next, you know, great leader in fundamentalism. You don't know who the next pastor is going to be. And, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, kids that came in on bus routes, you know, guys who came into churches, you know, when they, when they got saved, they were dealing with, you know, drunkenness, drugs, and eventually became the next pastor of the church. You know, and it's because God did a work in their life, and we always, we should always do good to anybody we get an opportunity to do good to. Because you never know who you're dealing with. And so verse 10 of Judges 8 says, Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east, for there fell an 120,000 men that drew sword. So that's amazing how many people had already died. And remember, there's only 300 men on Gideon's team, but again, they were killing each other. And so, uh, and so, and again, I think this is another reason Gideon would have been fine with the men of Ephraim getting in on the action because you can't carry the spoils of 120,000 people by yourself. So he's letting everybody get in on it. And so it says, And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba in Jogbeha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them, and took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. 
And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle before the sun was up and caught a young man of the men of Succoth and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, which whom ye abrade me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth, and he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of that city. So Gideon, he ends up succeeding, and he ends up going back to those places with those people who didn't help him. And you know what he did? He did exactly what he said he was going to do to them. He drug them through the thorns and briars, killed them. He tore down the tower. And so their lack of help was in reality them siding with the enemy. And they probably did this thinking the Midianites would win because there's still thousands of them left. And Gideon's only got 300 men. So they did. They look at a situation where they had an opportunity to do something that was just good and right and kind. You know, just help some, help some guys out. But they just looked and they just kind of weighed their options. You know, what's going to help us out politically? And hey, we're taking a chance if we help these guys out because the Midianites find out we're, we're going to be in trouble. But you know what? They made the wrong choice and it ended up coming back on them. So, um, you know, so the, uh, in verse 22, it says, or no, I'm sorry, verse 18. Uh, and he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, what manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? And they answered, as thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother, as the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. And so... It's kind of hard to fully understand the significance of everything that was just mentioned here, you know, where it talks about Jether, the son of Gideon, not you know, just being afraid to take up the sword. Why the Bible specifically mentions a lot of these details, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend I fully understand, but I will tell you what we're seeing in this story is just complete and total victory. I mean, we are seeing Gideon succeeding completely in defeating all these enemies getting vengeance on people who wouldn't help him and getting vengeance too for the slaying of his own family because basically all of his brethren, his father's house, and we understand too from earlier in Judges, they were idolatrous people and you know they died uh, by the hand of these people. But Gideon gets vengeance. And so this would have been a victorious day for Gideon, but a sad day also knowing that his family had died. And so, And I think that's probably one of the reasons too he wanted his son to be the one to slay him just because of the fact that, you know, it was his family too. And, you know, he, and so I think he wanted one of his family members to deal with it, but he kind of wimped out, I guess you could say. And so, and, and I don't want to add to the scriptures. I don't want to read into things too much, but it's kind of, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Gideon's sons, except for one that we're going to look at next week, but we know he had a bunch and Jether, his firstborn, he's like afraid to draw the sword. So it almost kind of just makes it seem like Gideon's son or maybe his sons were just kind of pansies and bad leaders. And as a result of that, we're going to see next week, Abimelech is going to kill all of his brethren and try to take over and be a leader. Don't want to get ahead of myself there. But that could be one of the reasons the Bible mentions this story. Uh, not real sure. But verse 22 says, And the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Now, right here is a very rare thing for a man to refuse power that people are trying to give to him. I, and I think this says a lot about Gideon. I believe Gideon was right. We understand during this time of the judges, 
it was not God's will for them to have a king. But Israel, later, we're going to see, they end up demanding a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. And that was foolish. That was not God's will. God ended up giving Israel what they wanted, but that was not God's plan. And Gideon is actually doing the right thing here, sticking to God's plan. No, I'm not supposed to rule over you. The Lord's going to rule over you. And that's what God wanted. God wanted the law to be the guide and God wanted men to be judges that would kind of, you know, lead Israel and kind of help enforce some of these things. But they weren't supposed to have a king that just did things according to his will. That was not what they were supposed to have, but that was often what the people of Israel wanted. And one thing I always hate, I hate when our government says we need to do whatever so we can be like the other nations. And it's like, no, we live in America because, you know, we like America. You know, if I, you know, never say, you know, you, you never score points with me as a politician when they say something like, well, you know, we need to do this because Canada is doing this. Listen, I don't want to live in Canada. I can't think of any other country out there that I want to live in, you know, but they're always like trying to compare. You know, if you're, if you're trying to get me to support something, don't say this is what they do in China. That's not going to get me excited. There's a few things I like that they do in Russia. Uh, that might score points depending on what it is. <laughs> but for most countries, I don't want to be that way. Well, that's how Israel, Israel always was. Israel, they were not very good at looking to God. They were always looking to the world. And that's one of the reasons we're having the problems we are in churches today. We've got people in churches they're looking to they're looking to the world. They're looking to the world when it comes to how they do their music, how they dress, how they do everything in their church, instead of looking to the Word of God. And that's always a bad thing. But we're going to kind of get through the rest of this chapter. Then I kind of want to preach a message uh, based off some of the things we see. But uh, but I I do respect the fact that Gideon was you know refer or was refusing to accept this power. That is a very rare thing. And, you know, and thank God for good men and thank God for good leaders. But the truth is God wants men who will encourage others to follow God. But let me tell you something. Men, carnal men, will always choose instead to follow men rather than God. Because following God takes faith. Following God means you have to be spiritual so you can actually know what God wants. So you can actually uh, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit. It's much easier to be led by men. And one thing that we have, we, I've seen it my whole life. We see it in the Bible. We've seen it throughout history. Is often, you know, good guys end up, you know, leading people astray because at some point, people, they, you know, these men, they quit leading people towards God and they, and you know, people just start following the man instead of the God that they're supposed to be following. And when that happens, it get it turns bad every single time. But notice verse 24. So this is after the people have, you know, requested Gideon to be king. And he says, the Lord's going to rule over. He said, and Gideon said to them, I will, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Okay, and so, and this is interesting too, and I never really noticed this before, but I, I've had people tell me before that the you know the Edomites and the Ishmaelites they all like joined up at one point. And so, whenever you're talking about the Muslims, you know they'll talk about how you know the Edomites became the Muslims, but then they'll talk about how the Ishmaelites became the Muslims too. And I've heard people say it, but I never noticed that, yeah, it actually is in the Scripture because here we have the Amalekites uh, are part of it, but we also have Midianites. And Midianites were, in fact, from Ishmael. And so it refers to really all these people as Ishmaelites. So it does appear from this passage that they did join up. And one of the things that they did as Ishmaelites is they wore golden earrings. Okay, One more reason, I don't want to wear an earring. Okay, I don't want to be associated with Ishmaelites. I also don't want to be associated with queers. But either way, uh, just another reason I don't, you know, I don't want to, I'm not wearing an earring. Plus, I'm not going to pierce my ear. But, uh, I just, I thought that was an interesting fact because I do think that just kind of gives biblical proof. And because, remember, all the Midianites descended from Abraham. 
Malachites descended from Abraham. All these people descend from Abraham, as did the Jews. So they're kind of closely related, but uh, the Midianites and the Malachites took a very different path. And so, verse 25 says, And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold besides beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about the camel's neck. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So, first off, you know, what is an ephod? Okay, and an ephod uh, the definition is a richly embroidered apron-like vestment having two shoulder straps and ornamental attachment for securing the breastplate worn with a waistband by the high priest. And so uh, Gideon takes these earrings and makes this golden ephod that was probably very beautiful, something that would have probably been very valuable. And sadly, even though earlier in the book of Judges, Gideon gets the idol out of his father's house, Gideon hadn't completely got the idolatry out of himself. And, and so notice this too. He makes an ephod. It's an ephod. Now, let me ask you, is that a graven image? Not really. But this ephod that he made that was made out of all these golden earrings, the Bible tells us that Israel went a-whoring after it. They, they, you know what they did? They made an idol out of it. And let me tell you something about just sinful man. Sinful man is very idolatrous, very idolatrous. And, um, and, you know, the truth is you can make an idol out of something that isn't even necessarily a graven image. And that's not right. God is not for that. God is not, God is not in that kind of thing. I, uh, I made a clip a while back. I just, I made a video short that's got like a couple hundred thousand views of where I was talking about in a sermon, the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And how everybody was like just kissing everything, praying on everything, just very idolatrous. And you, the amount of rebukes I have gotten from Catholics on that video is just astounding. All these people explain to me how it's not idolatry, it's veneration. But folks, when you, so when you start venerating things at too high of a level, it turns into idolatry. And we can, you can do that with anything. It's, it's literally idolatry and it's just, I mean, it's all the same people just leaving the same explanation. It's not idolatry trying to justify this stuff. But folks, we shouldn't go around worshiping stuff. We shouldn't go around praying to stuff. And people are naturally idolatrous. And, you know, you can make an excuse. People are excusing it. People are, they're, they're all trying to compare it to the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You know, and so, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just trying to do that with this rock that we think Jesus' body was prepared on. Folks, idolatry, it is, it's a really bad thing. And even Baptists can do it sometimes. I mean, there's preachers that they would probably pass out, you know, and get slain in the Spirit if they were just able to, like, touch a pulpit of Jack Hiles or something like that. At the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, they've got a pulpit there that Billy Sunday used. And preachers go there all the time. They get their picture taken on that pulpit. And, and preachers too, whenever they do this kind of thing, whenever they get their picture taken at a pulpit, you know, of a famous preacher, they always do the same serious look. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they can't smile. That, that, you know, they go to the graves and things like that and they do this. I'm not saying you can't visit graves. I'm not saying you can't visit that stuff. Okay. I, but again, it, it's not wrong to visit these places. It's not wrong to think about what took place at some of these biblical locations. But let me tell you, there comes a point where it turns into idolatry. There, there, there comes a point where you start regarding it too high, and it's a problem. We see in the Bible where God, at one point, told Moses to make a serpent out of brass and told the people to look at it and live. But, you know, fast forward several hundred years, eventually, even though God had told them to make that, they made an idol out of it, and people were worshiping it. And you know what King Hezekiah did? He had it destroyed. And that's exactly what he should have done. You know, and is it wrong to make an ephod out of these gold earrings and things like that? You know, you can say, well, it's just a, it's a, it's a memento of a battle that we won. But you know what? They went too far with it. They were, they, they looked at it too much. And God had a problem. God called, God said they went a whoring after it. 
They turn this thing into a God and understand this was on Gideon's watch. This was with Gideon. This great man we see kind of turning back to idolatry. And so there's, a, there's an important lesson I want us to get from this. So notice verse 28. It says, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more, and the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. So again, we have another forty year period. And so far we're always seeing these forty year periods. One time we saw an eighty year period where things were going good. And so the thing and, and remember this, I'm going to keep pointing this out as we see this. While things were quiet during the time of Gideon, while this idolatry was going on, while things were quiet, understand that the wheels of judgment were turning during that time. Whenever Israel would go into idolatry, God would not bring the hammer down on them right away. God would give them space to repent. But understand, here they are all these years being idolatrous and nothing's happening, so they think everything's okay. But things are not okay. Judgment is coming. And we see that in churches today. Churches, they go liberal. Churches, they dump their King James Bible. Churches, they bring in the contemporary junk. Churches start you know, teaching all these weird false doctrines. And you know what? Things don't always get bad overnight in those churches. In fact, sometimes things go pretty good in those churches. But because they forsook the way of God, because they got away from the things of God, judgment is getting ready to come. And then eventually, sometimes it's usually in the next generation, things are just completely out of control. And so, verse 29 says, Then, and Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house, and Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And so, because of this great victory, Gideon won, you know, he became very rich and powerful. You know, he's kind of a. He's still a leader. He's a judge. Things are good. They won this huge battle where they got a ton of spoils. And so Gideon, he's obviously wealthy enough where he can have a whole bunch of wives. He has 70 sons. So, uh, you know, Gideon lived out the rest of his life pretty happy. Things were going really good for Gideon in his life, even though Gideon has slipped into idolatry. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to talk about it next week, but we need to think about this because a lot of preachers are out there today that are, they are compromising. They are slipping into apostasy. But understand that a lot of these preachers that go bad, they still do just fine. They are still getting a paycheck. They're still, you know, doing good, prosperous, you know, have a you know have a successful church as far as the world concerned. People are coming and everything, but you know what? It's always the next generation that suffers. And I just going to give you a little spoiler alert: all of Gideon's sons are going to die. Gideon's next generation, they're all going to die. And let me tell you something: I am not interested in being a big name pastor who can't even get his family right. I'm not interested in that. I do not want to be one of these pastors that is respected, liked, popular, everybody thinks is great. I'm like preaching all these conferences and because I'm a big, just because I'm a big name, everybody thinks I know what I'm talking about when it comes up. You know, you know how many preachers are out there going and preaching on family things, preaching at family conferences and, and, and they turned out sorry kids? What a joke that is. I am not interested in learning on how to raise a family from a guy who doesn't know how to raise a family. I'm not interested in that. But yet, a lot of these guys, because they have big names, you know, because they're respected in certain circles or whatever, they'll get invited to these things. I think that's a total shame. Not interested in that. And Gideon, again, did Gideon do a great work for God? Yes, he did. Was Gideon a saved man? Yes, he was. But did Gideon end well? Absolutely not. Gideon... The end was bad. And so it talks about I had three score and ten sons because he had many wives. And then it says, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And remember that name, Abimelech, the son of a concubine, because he's going to come into play next week. And remember, a concubine, I'm not going to take time to show the scriptures on this, 
But a concubine is basically kind of just like a lower ranking wife. You know, for example, Hagar, uh, Abraham, you know, she, she was Abraham's concubine. But there's other passages too where she's referred to as his wife too. And so a concubine, it was, they were some, you know, these men, they would often have these extra women so they could have more kids, so they can have more servants, so they can grow their house and things like that. But usually the wife, you know, she had greater importance. She would, you know, she could kind of boss the other women around. And then usually the child that he had with, with his wives were kind of more important too. It was like that with Isaac, or with Abraham, with Isaac and Ishmael. You know, Abraham gave the greatest inheritance and everything to Ishmael, or to Isaac, but he also did a lot to Ishmael, but then all of his sons that he had, you know, with Keturah, you know, he just gave them gifts. They, they didn't get, they didn't get as much. And so, um, obviously we do not have this kind of custom in America, nor should we have a custom like this in America. And, but that was kind of how they were back then. And so let me tell you, when you, if, if you have a situation where you have multiple wives, expect to have some family problems. And, and whenever people too try to justify multiple wives, because what they did in the old Testament is like, Hey, have you ever read about how those families turned out? There were always major problems because of it. But, you know, it's really going to be a problem, too, when you have lower-ranking wives and lower-ranking kids, too. God even had to tell them in the law that when it came to a firstborn, a firstborn was supposed to receive the inheritance of the firstborn, whether it was a son of a wife that was loved or one that was hated. Because one that they didn't like as much. So, you know, if, if you had multiple, I mean, obviously, if you had two wives, you're probably going to like one better than you do the other. Which is a good, it's going to cause problems too. But then, you know, you weren't allowed, if you had a son first with the wife that you didn't like, you know, you weren't allowed to like, well, you know what, I'm going to give the inheritance to my higher ranking wife's son. You know, they weren't even allowed to do that. God had to tell them stuff like that because that's the kind of thing people would do back then. It was... Uh, and, and I probably should preach a message sometime. I think I did a long time ago. I probably should revisit it one time. But um, just kind of exp- helping people understand, too, wh- why there was a lot of that junk back then. Because people will a lot of times look at some of the stuff they did back then and try to justify certain types of behavior because they did it in the Bible days. And that is ridiculous. And there is these are not biblical reasons to do any of these things. But look at verse 32. It says, And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Josiah, or Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal Beareth their God. And again, this is just a universal fact. The next generation rarely learns from the mistake of the previous generation. It's a very rare thing. And it says, And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hand of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. So, we all understand you know, that remembering the Lord is a definite must for everyone. We should always remember the things God has done. But notice how one of the problems Israel had was not also not remembering the man that God used to deliver them, even though Gideon was a very flawed individual. And so, if I may just preach a short sermon at the end of this sermon, you know, some, some things we need to remember about the great or yet not so great men that we see in the Bible or even in our lives today. And, is, and so, first off... Um, you know, what do we do with these men who are great yet not so great? Or who were great but then develop great flaws? Because that happens. And people need to get a hold of this. It's sad how many people can't get a hold of this. And I'm going to tell you, if you can't get a hold of this, it's because you're carnal. That's all there is to it. You've, you've got a carnality problem. So, the first, what do we do with men who are great yet not so great? First off, follow them when they are right. And ignore them when they are wrong. Just because somebody is a good man, just because somebody is a saved man, just because somebody has a title, doesn't mean you just blindly follow everything that they do. 
Yeah, but well, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to follow. Well, I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. He said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Okay? We follow men as we see them following Christ. So the thing is, and, I, and understand, I'm going to give, this is a visual illustration. Obviously, we can't literally do this. But me as a pastor of the church, it's okay for you to follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning, as long as you see me following Christ, then you can follow what I'm doing. If you see my example is something that fits with the Bible, then you know what? Follow that example. Because not, and so not so much because it's me doing it, but because, hey, yeah, that's actually what's in the Bible. And so anytime any man's leading, anytime a pastor is leading in his church, leading people in whatever, what that pastor should always be doing is pointing people to the Bible, pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so as long as you can always see Jesus in front of me, then you know what? You're safe in following me. But understand that takes faith, doesn't it? Because we can't literally see Jesus. But if you see me doing things that are violating the Bible, you know what? Don't follow that. You hear me preaching something? You know, you ought to listen to the preaching that goes on here as long as I'm proving it from the Bible. But, and, and understand too, just because I'm telling you I'm proving it to you from the Bible doesn't mean I'm proving it to you from the Bible. And I, I really need to do a series about just manipulation te- you know, techniques from the pulpits because I see them all the time the way people they're not preaching the Word of God. They're literally manipulating the people. I mean, it is amazing how many preachers are out there. When you listen to them preach about Paul, it's like they're always Paul. They're always Paul. They're always David. It's like, wait, are these stories about David? Or they? You know, I, I get we can use them as examples, but you're, you're always the good guy. Always. You're never David when he sinned with Bathsheba. You know, you're, you know you're, 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 ne- you're, never, you're never any of these guys when they fall. You're getting when he's doing good, but never when he's doing bad. And it's just like, I, I'm starting to think some, you're making these stories more about you than these individuals. And there's a line. Again, we can use examples, but there, there, there's a line people are crossing where these stories are all about them. You know, it's like, you know, it's no longer Saul and David. You know, it's, it's not about these two guys. You know, everybody that doesn't like you is Saul and you're always David. It's interesting the way that stuff works. And the manipulation techniques, they're very obvious to me as somebody who studies the Bible, somebody who puts sermons together all the time. It's like, that is not, you know, preaching the scriptures at all. And it's, but you know, when you see a preacher doing that, ignore them. Don't follow them, even if it's me. And so understand that the best leaders are ones who lead people into following Christ rather than themselves. And understand, it's okay and it's normal when you first get started or when you first get saved to be a follower of a man in your Christian life. Okay, You go talk to any of your kids in here, all, all the kids in here, you know why they do the things that they do? You know why they're in church tonight? You know why they dress the way they dress? Because their parents tell them to. You know, we can ask little kids in here, what Bible should you use? They're going to tell you King James Bible. But you know what? Are we going to let them go on a debate stage with James White? No, they wouldn't know what, you know, they don't know. What are they doing? They're following you. Okay, and understand, right now, your kids, they're just following you. They are only a Baptist because you are a Baptist. That's the only reason. They're only doing these things because you are, because they trust you. But one of these days, they're going to get a little older and they're going to get a little more independent. They're going to start to figure out that daddy's not the strongest guy in the world. Daddy's not the smartest guy in the world. And you better make sure that you have got them not just following you, but following you as you follow Christ. You better get them looking at Christ. And unfortunately, a lot of parents, they never get their kids there where they're looking at Christ. They only are looking at their parents. And my mom and dad had all kinds of flaws. My mom and dad, they were inconsistent in this area. My mom and dad made this mistake. They made that mistake. Listen, you've got to figure out how to get people following Christ. That, that's what I'm supposed to do as a leader. That's what you're supposed to do as a leader. You get people to follow Christ. And, and it is a childish thing. And you know what? Did you know it's okay for children to be children? But it's not okay for adults to be children. It is childish. It is carnal. 
to just be a follower of man and not to be a follower of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So what were they doing that was so carnal? What were they doing that makes that identify them as babes in Christ? It says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Alright, so what specifically were they doing? Well, here's what they were doing. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who then is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. This church had a problem because they were, they were still just followers of men. And because they were only followers of men, they started having division in the church because Paul and Apollos and Cephas are not going to be exactly alike. And so the thing is, if we are all just followers of men, we're going to have all kinds of conflict because men are never completely in harmony with each other. There's never that complete unity with man. But if men, if leaders are getting people to follow Christ, there's always unity there. There's always harmony there. And so the, the thing is, too many people today, they never get to the point where they know how to follow Christ. There's people who do not know how to open up a Bible and figure out what they're supposed to do. And listen, when you get started, that's fine. When you first get started, there is nothing wrong with going to another you know, you know, older church member. There's nothing wrong with going to a pastor and saying, hey, hey pastor, you know, what does the Bible say about this? You know, what, what, you, know, how, you know, how am I supposed to live my life in this area? What should I do in this kind of situation? There's nothing wrong with you doing that, but understand you need to get to a point where you can do these things yourself. You need to get to these, a point where you know how to follow Christ. And if you never do that, understand if you never do that, and you just follow me. If you are just a follower of me, you will do fine as long as I'm following Christ. But if I quit following Christ, you're going down with me. And you know what? I don't want to go down with somebody else. So I'm not just going to be a follower of a man. And men followers, you know what? Men followers typically have the same flaws as the men they follow, but at a greater level. Because Gideon... While he was a great man of God, he had some idolatry issues, which is bad. And what happened to the next generation? They were even worse. You know, Gideon had that ephod. It's not technically a graven image, but they went a whoring after it. And so then the next group comes along. They're serving Baal again. Even though Gideon had broken down the image of Baal before, but it's 40 years later, they've forgotten about all that. And they were worse. And understand, God can use... Tommy McMurtry in a great way if Tommy McMurtry is filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? But understand, God cannot use Austin Dennis if Austin Dennis is filled with the Spirit of Tommy McMurtry. See, if I'm filled with, I have my flaws. I have my personal issues and you know shortcomings and things like that. But if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, God can take this sorry carcass and do something great. But because of the spirit of God, not because of Tommy McMurtry, because of the spirit of God. And we've got too many men today who are trying to be filled with the spirit of another man. And you know what you get when you get filled with the spirit of another man? An abomination. That is what you get. And understand, okay, God can, again, God can use me, Tommy McMurtry, if I'm filled with the spirit of God. But I'll tell you right now, you don't want to see Austin Dennis filled with the spirit of Tommy McMurtry. That would be repulsive. If he's just up here imitating me, doing everything I do, has all my mannerisms, all my same stutters and things that I do. I mean, do you really want to watch him just get up here and imitate me? Unless he's doing it to be funny. You know, I like to see a good imitation. What I don't like to see is somebody doing imitation while pretending to be themselves. That's repulsive. And, well, you know, I don't, I don't see why it's a problem. You know, God's doing great things with Tommy McMurtry. Yes, because of the Spirit of God. 
Okay, and, and he does not need my spirit. He needs the spirit of God. That's what he needs. And so there have, there have been many great preachers in the past who sadly had men come up after them who were not filled with the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the great preacher. You had, you know, again, Jack Hiles, you know, he had his preaching flaws where he like coughed all the time. Okay, I mean, that's not a sin. You can still preach great while having a cough. But you know, when, all the, when you have preachers coming up after you that are all doing your same cough, that's messed up. God's not going to use you <laughs> in that situation. Oh, you have a problem because I cough? You know, Jack Hiles coughs. Yeah, it's just because it's he coughs. But then you're doing the same thing? That's weird. That's so weird. I, we've, all, we've heard legends of people that were like that. It's, that's not what you should shoot for. And let me tell you, if I can't get you, if I'm not motivating you to follow Christ, then we've got a real problem. I'm, I'm failing somewhere. And I don't, I don't want to do that. So, uh, but yeah, when you get filled with the spirit of another man, you just turn out to be a freak and a fraud. All there is to it. So, don't be troubled though. When you read about flaws and failures of great men that God used. And that's where a lot of people get confused today. Because without a doubt, there's people you can look back at in the past that God did great things with. But what does everybody like to do today? We like to go back and look at those men and find the flaws. You know, everybody likes to bring up, you know, John R. I mean, without a doubt, John R. Rice did a lot of great things. But then people bring up stuff he said about, you know, other versions of the Bible. Or stuff that he said about repent of sins. And, you know, they're doing that all the time with these old preachers. And I've got something coming up I'm planning on doing on that. But, you know, they, they all, they, you know how many of the old greats of the past all said something wrong on repentance? And then you have people, I, I don't, they just, they couldn't have been saved. Nothing that they did was good. It was all bad. Sword of Lords of the, always been to the devil because John R. I said repent of sins. He wasn't saved. Listen. You, you, you got to understand, you know, people do, they, they, they mess up in areas, they have flaws, but you can't take away the things that they did. Don't be troubled by that kind of thing. Because you see, God used these men to point us not to the men, but to the great God who used them to give us hope for ourselves. And, you know, never make the mistake of thinking, too, that because these men were great, that you can justify sin in your life because these great men had that sin in their life. That's another foolish thing people do. Well, you know, David committed adultery. Yeah, and you saw what happened to him. Why have you not learned from that? You realize you're supposed to learn from that. Moses had multiple wives. Abraham had multiple wives. That is one of the most foolish things. And we've talked about this before. I don't, I don't want to belabor this point. But again, you know, we're accountable for what we've been given. Gideon did not have much. Gideon had very little. Gideon's idolatry, it was wrong. Idolatry has always been wrong. But let me tell you, it is way worse for us to be idolatrous today than it was for Gideon. God will come down way harder on any of us for being idolatrous than he did Gideon. God will come down way harder on us for adultery, multiple wives, whatever, than he did with Abraham or those people. And, and they all had problems because of it. But people do. They, they find these flaws in men. They'll find a bad sermon. They'll find a bad teaching. They'll find a bad paragraph that they wrote somewhere. And it's like they think they got to write off everything that they ever did. No, you don't. These God uses flawed people to point people to God. But you know what? Carnal people, they never see the God that did a work. They never see the God that they were supposed to be pointing them to. They can only see the man. You know why? Because they're carnal. That's all there is to it. They can only see the man. That's what carnal people do. And so when we read about Gideon, don't be amazed by Gideon. Be amazed by what God did through a man even like Gideon. And you know what? There is one thing that we can get from Gideon's example that he did have going for him. And this is, this is important. And that's faith. And what does it say in Hebrews 11, 32? It says, What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, also of Samuel, and the prophets. Gideon got named in the hall of faith. Why, why is this? Because you know what? And, and thank God for this. 
When we stand before God on judgment day, we are not going to be judged by our performance of the law, but by our faith. Because when we have faith, God can do great things. And, and so Gideon, if we want to talk about his works of the law, then he was pretty sorry. If we want to talk about Gideon's works of the law, he was a pretty sorry individual. But isn't it interesting that all the New Testament says about Gideon, all it mentions about Gideon is his faith. That's all it, meant. That's all it mentions. You know, and on Judgment Day, we're not going to be judged by our performance of the law, but by whether or not we had faith. Because when we have faith, God can do a great work. I'm going to go to heaven, not because of my works of the law, but because of my faith. And because I have faith, guess what? Jesus did a great work. Jesus did a great work that got me saved. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus paid for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus did all those things. And so I'm going to go to heaven today because Jesus did a great work. What did I do? I had faith. Now, if you want to talk about my works of the law, you can find, you can find issues. When we look at Gideon, Gideon, we talk about his works of the law. It's pretty sad what he did. But you know what we also see in, in the book of Judges? is Gideon had faith and Gideon didn't do a great work. God did a great work through Gideon. That's what we need to get from these stories. And so, you know, understand men, even the great men, they're not so great. They really aren't. But there's been a lot of not so great men throughout history who have had faith and because they had faith, God did a great work. God did amazing things. And you know what? You can't take away. No matter what Gideon did later, God did not go and unwin that battle. They won that battle. And you know what? A lot of preachers, preachers out there, they've gotten a lot of people saved. God got a lot of people saved through their ministry, through the work they did. And sometimes those guys go bad. Sometimes those guys get involved in sin and wickedness and even false doctrine. But you know what you can't do? You can't take away all the things that God did. And how did God do those things? Through faith. So don't get too enamored with men. Just follow men as they follow Christ and you'll be fine. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this example, the story we have of Gideon, Lord. I pray you'll help us to learn from these things and help us all as leaders to make sure we do a better job of not pointing people to us and getting them to follow us, but pointing people to you and so they can also see you do great works through their faith. In your name we pray. Amen.